we're talking about God being with us, and we're thinking about the using as a springboard the He Gets Us campaign that produce televised videos that stress aspects of Jesus' humanness. And this morning, we think about tears and grief, a very short video, and then we'll talk about it. There are two occasions that we know that Jesus wept and what Jesus' tears then become. They are windows through which we can look into the heart of God. And we're going to look at the times Jesus wept and, and try to figure out why did he weep and what those tears tell us about God and how he relates to us and, and our grief and, and our tears. Uh, we have the first occasion, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, and as Jesus saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the second time Jesus walked to Jerusalem and he was aware that something devastating was going to happen in the future. And the tears that he shed then, they seem to be the tears of a shepherd who understands that his flock will be torn apart. He has a mixture of anger for the shepherds who are misleading the people and deep compassion for the sheep who will struggle. The second occasion for tears was when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to spend more time to think about that. We pick up the narrative in John 11. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loved this family. Bethany is a bedroom community of Jerusalem. And when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he would stop by Bethany. He had an especially close relationship with his family. He hears that Lazarus is sick. However, upon hearing this news, he stays put. He remains where he is for several more days. And he has a specific plan and a purpose for doing so. His plan is for God to be glorified. He says this sickness will not end in death. He has a plan, and what he understands is that he is going to heal Lazarus. He knows Lazarus is sick. He knows Lazarus is going to die, and he's also planning on going there and raising Lazarus from the dead. He not only has a plan, he has a purpose. He says this is going to happen for God's glory. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. When we hear the word glory, glory is when 
an aspect of God's character is revealed in a visible way. God is invisible. And yet when God reveals himself, that is how he reflects or places or shines his glory out upon us. There's a couple of things that God will kind of show his glory in a visible way in a couple of ways. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead will reveal something about God, that he has power over death, that death does not create an obstacle for God. But not it's not just about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's part of the glory, but also part of the glory, part of what we see in God are the tears on Jesus' cheek when he does so. And so we're going to think about both of those things. It says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. When Jesus ran into this group of individuals who were mourning, Lazarus had been dead for three days by this time. He reacted visibly. It says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And those words are puzzling, to tell you the truth. The word deeply moved literally means the snorting of a horse or a bull when it's getting ready to charge. It's, you get the sense of an animal pawing the ground. That's the sense of deeply moved. It, when it applies to human beings, it suggests Anger, really outrage. It's Jesus' inward reaction suggests anger and outrage and indignation. He is pawing the ground, getting ready to charge. That's deeply moved. That's what that means. And troubled. Troubled is the sense of being stirred up or agitated. When you see a storm at sea, when there's a, when there's a storm and the waves are crashing, that's the image. Or when you lift the washing machine and the agitator's spinning and it's churning. Jesus, emotions are churned up. Um, why? His anger seems to be triggered by seeing the individuals, but it, it's also what it says. Jesus once more deeply moved, again, pawing the ground, upset, angry, um, came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance the way the, the tomb Lazarus would have been laid in. It would have been a, a kind of a cliff face and a, an opening in there with a stone rolled away. And as Jesus approaches this, he, he, we have the same reaction that he had a little bit earlier on when Mary and Martha meet him. He's agitated. And then the question becomes, why? And it seems that he's angry at the grave. He's angry at the tomb. He approaches the tomb and the feeling hits him. He sees these people experiencing death together and he's angry. I think he's angry kind of because he's confronting an enemy. The Bible says something interesting. It says that he, Jesus, must reign until he had put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroyed to be destroyed is death. Jesus considered death his enemy. 
And when he approaches the tomb, I think that's what he's doing. He's getting ready for a fight. He's pawing the ground because when he finishes, death will not be the same. Not that day, not the weekend when he's going to rise from the dead. And he is going to indicate that really, that's really why he came. Because when you love somebody, then you kind of become opponents of that which threatens. And when it's either weeping over the city and all that are going to die in the future, or in this specific case with Lazarus, Jesus loves people. And there's a sense that death is an opponent because death is our opponent. Um, Does Jesus will destroy death and he'll vanquish it. When will that happen? A um, couple of verses, it says, Paul writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Prior to Jesus' coming, the idea of living on the far side of death was not clear. It's not clear in the Old Testament. There's no sense of rising. And when Jesus comes, it says that he brought life and immortality to light. And when he suggests what's going to happen, Jesus is going to come a second time, but it's not going to be like he came the first time. As the first time he came as a, a baby into a womb in a manger, the second time he comes, it's not going to be quiet. And what we have, there's going to be a loud command and the sound of the archangel. And when, he, when Jesus comes a second time, he's going to be large and in charge. And what he's going to do, he's going to vanquish death. He's going to, and not, he not only has risen himself, but what he's going to do, it suggests in the text, is those who have died with a relationship with Christ, when Jesus comes a second time, they come first. And every time somebody comes out of a grave and rises to be with him, that's just another nail in death's coffin. Jesus came to pluck individuals out of death. And then those who remain when Jesus comes, we don't know when that's going to be, will be caught up together with him in the air, and then we will change. And we are immortal spirits that are housed within mortal bodies. And this body is not going to make it. This body, for many of us, we're going to die. And our spirit won't die. Our body will. And what will happen when Jesus comes a second time? Our spirit and our mortal body will be changed, and we will be spirits in immortal bodies. Well, we'll leave, we'll live in the form that Jesus lives in. Jesus is an immortal spirit and an immortal body. 
And we're going to share that living arrangement, a body where there's no more crying or pain or things that are disagreeable. There's no more sorrow. Christ is reigning until his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. And the last enemy Jesus is going to conquer suggests his death. Death will be rendered impotent when God raises his children from the grave, robbed of its victims, death's threatening menace is neutralized. There's a song by Petra, I love the lyrics, called Grave Robber. It says, there's a step that we all take alone, an appointment we have with the great unknown. Like a vapor, this life is just waiting to pass. Like the flowers that fade, like the withering grass. But life seems so long, and death so complete, and the grave an impossible portion to cheat. But there's one who has been there and still lives to tell. There's one who has been through both heaven and hell, and the grave will come up empty-handed that day. Jesus will come and steal us away. Many still mourn and many still weep for those that they love who have fallen asleep. But we have this hope, though our hearts may still ache, just one shout from above, and they all will awake. And in the reunion of joy we will see, death has been swallowed in sweet victory. Where is the sting? Tell me, where is the bite? When the grave robber comes, like a thief in the night. Where is the victory? Where is the prize? When the grave robber comes and death finally dies. And that's why Jesus came, to vanquish death. And at some point, death will die. That's Jesus' last enemy. I think that might be a little bit of the the pawing of the ground that Jesus feels, the agitation that he's going to go one-to-one -one with our enemy and he's going to defeat it. And he needs the anger. He needs that to fuel the weekend where he'll experience unspeakable things in order to destroy our enemy. That's when Jesus will conquer death is when he raises his children out of the grave. How exactly did Jesus overpower death? What did he have to do? It says that uh, there's a verse, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. It's interesting, since Jesus deals with sin, you know what he calls dying? 
falling asleep. That's what the Bible describes dying. And at the point where we, in Christ, it's like you fall asleep in Him, and the next conscious thought, you wake up and you're with Him. The reason that that has accomplished that Jesus not only dealt with death, but in order to deal with death, Jesus needs to deal with that which makes death sting. And it says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In order to deal with the sting of death, Jesus needs to remove the opposition to the law. We've all done things, things that we're not proud of, sins. And we think about, well, what's going to happen when I die? I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've done things that are against God's command, and I know there's a judgment, and and that makes, as we think about death, that's become that frightening. You know what Jesus came to do? To remove that fear. Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, says John 5, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, and talk about what it says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. They have crossed over from death to life. I'm going to say that again. So what it's, just, what it's saying is that these people will not be judged. You know, we have this sense of going to heaven, and then there's going to be the highlight reels. You know, oh, my goodness, don't show that. <laughs> and, and, but it suggests, the first suggest is, well, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. They've crossed over from death to life. When you hear what Jesus did, and you believe that he was sent by the Father to deal with death and to deal with sin, and you believe that and remain in that belief, it says you cross over from death to life, and then there's not going to be a judgment. That's why it changes the character of death. Death becomes, for a believer, falling asleep. It says he forgave us all our sins, how did he do that? He forgave us all our sins. It says how? Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus would nail to the cross, he didn't stay up there, right? They took him down from the cross, but something stayed on the cross. And when it says the written regulations that if you do these, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. That's the old covenant. That stayed nailed to the cross. And what Jesus does at the cross, he annuls the old covenant and he puts a new covenant in place, which says, I'm going to put my law on your mind and write it on your hearts. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to not remember your wickedness or your sin anymore. And the reason why he came to do that, if we understand what he came to do, then death changes its, well, it doesn't become, right, and nobody's looking, nobody, death is an awful thing, a terrible thing. And yet, it's temporary. And what it 
is biblically. What happened to Jesus is going to happen to those who believe in him. That's going to be raised and, and living in the form that Jesus lived in. Um, this is why Jesus snorts and why he paws the ground. The violent tyranny of death stood before him. And he will need this anger to get to the cross and to deal with our enemy and his. I think it fueled his struggle on our behalf. That's why there's this reaction by Jesus of anger and outrage and indignation. But there is grief as well. There is divine anger and there's divine grief. It says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, when we face death, there's a lot of reasons for our grief. Some of that is helpless and powerlessness. Why couldn't I do more? Why couldn't have I prevented this? But Jesus isn't feeling powerless or helpless. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not powerless. and He's not hopeless. These aren't tears of remorse or regret either. He's not thinking about what he could have done, the time he wished he could have spent. These aren't tears of remorse or regret, and they're not tears of powerlessness or helplessness. What are these tears? Expressions of sympathy. And compassion. He's not only the death slayer, he's the one who comes alongside us and understands our grief and our pain. He weeps with those who are weeping. There's an article, let's just read it through as we close, from uh, the Ten Commitments. God sympathizes with me. As Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus wept. Close your eyes and say these two words. No, really. Take a moment. Before you read on, close your eyes and say these two words to yourself. Congratulations. You've just memorized a Bible verse, a key Bible verse. An important verse of the Bible is now in your mind. What are those words again? Let's meditate on the verse together. Jesus wept. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, were particularly close friends of Jesus. Mary had once poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. They all loved Jesus unashamedly. Lazarus had become seriously ill. Mary and Martha sent word to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus told his disciples what would happen. This sickness will not end in death. He let them know in advance that a miracle was on the way. The sickness would travel through death, but not end there. Jesus knew that Lazarus would die. He also knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus told the disciples why it would happen. 
It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus knew that the love and power of God the Father and God the Son would come into clearer focus when Lazarus, bound in grave clothes, walked out of the darkness of the tomb into the light of day. For this reason, he did not immediately respond to the bad news of Lazarus' illness. Rather, he stayed where he was two more days. He waited until death had claimed Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. What would happen? Lazarus would be raised from the dead. Why would it happen? So that you may believe. Jesus wants you to know that he has power over death. God has power to reach into death and pluck out life. Only he can do that. As Jesus approached Mary and Martha, rushed to meet him, their relationship with him was not polite and distinguished. It was passionate. They loved him. In the time of their grief, his was the face they wanted to see. His was the shoulder they wanted to cry on. They rushed to him. Mary collapsed at his feet. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Wait a minute. Jesus already knew what would happen. He already knew why it would happen. What is that streaming from his eyes? What is that running down his cheek? Sympathy. Those are tears. That's sympathy. These tears tell us a lot. They are windows through which we can see God more clearly. God knows what will happen. God knows why it will happen. However, he is not a dispassionate divine dictator, not a distant, detached sovereign. How do we know? You know the answer. You've memorized the answer. Jesus wept. God sympathizes with you. When we deal with the loss of loved ones, helplessness can trigger fears. Jesus' tears aren't expressions of his helplessness in the face of death. He is the death slayer. However, Jesus is not so divine that he's immune to human suffering. Jesus did not and does not forbid tears in his presence. Jesus participates in the grief of all of us whose loved ones have gone to the grave. And he walks through those times with us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son and for how Jesus brings immortal existence into the light it wasn't known prior to Jesus, but because he came and rose from the dead, uh, we know that there is life on the other side of the grave. And that means that we don't mourn as the rest of mankind. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We believe that, that you rose, you died and rose, and you're going to bring 
with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. That's what you say. Thanks for that. For how Jesus changes our relationship with death. We understand it's not final. It is still sad. It breaks our heart. And you even share that with us. Thank you for um, coming to the earth and for being one who both felt the anger to do what you needed to do and the grief that allows us to know that you walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen.